0: I got
1: a girl with a mind on love, the kind of love that is
0: dangerous, it knocks me down but I can back up, and I'm addicted. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast, today I have my brother Michael on as we talk wild card weekend, and what an exciting group of games that we witnessed this past weekend, it was just Amazing, amazing to watch, especially that Philly-Chicago game. Can't believe it came down to a missed field goal by Cody Parkey, hit the upright, then the crossbar. So me and Michael get into that. We talk about that game as well as the other three games that happened this past weekend. We also preview and give our predictions for the four upcoming divisional matchups this weekend, and we kind of have a couple upset picks, so be on the lookout for that. Both me and my brother ended up three and one this past weekend, so be on the lookout for that. We also we also talk about some of the head coaching hires that ended up getting hired. So we recorded this podcast yesterday, um, I believe January eighth. So there are a couple head coaching moves that happened this morning on January 9th. We talk about Freddie uh, talk about all the coaching hires, but we did not mention Freddie Kitchens getting hired by the Browns uh, to lead that team and lead and pair with Baker Mayfield. It seemed like they developed a good relationship throughout the second half of the season, and hopefully they're able to continue to flourish. And then also Vic Fangio got hired this morning by the Broncos, so he'll bring that defensive attitude that he ended up bringing to the Chicago Bears this season. So hopefully that'll translate, especially with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller over there. They'll be looking to get back to that really, really impressive Um, and hopefully be able to replicate some of the things that the Chicago Bears were able to do this past year with Khalil Mack. So I'll be looking forward to some of the other head coaching changes. The three head coaching um, destinations that are still available are the Miami Dolphins, um, the Cincinnati Bengals, and my New York Jets. So I'm curious to see what ends up happening there. So me and my brother break down all the other coaching um vacancies and the coaching positions that were filled. So, give it a listen and let's give my brother a call.
1: Hello. Hey
2: Mike, how was your weekend with that crazy crazy weekend of
1: wild card games? Um how do you enjoy your weekend, Mike? Yeah, a lot of football this weekend, but definitely an amazing, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but the wild card weekend, probably one of the, the best weekends of football and last weekend definitely did not disappoint.
2: It definitely did not. And we're, I mean, we're texting throughout the weekend talking about each matchup, all the games. And I mean, we're texting furiously back and forth during that Eagles Chicago Bears game. Oh my god, I could not believe what ended up happening with Cody Parkey missing that field goal or I guess the NFL officially Double changed, Yep. The NFL officially changed it to it being blocked. Um, I mean it was barely tipped at the line of scrimmage, but it was just a crazy, crazy game. Um, especially with the double doink. Uh, I mean,
1: that's probably how that game's going to be remembered, right, Mike? I think so. I mean, that was the sort of highlight of the game. Uh, and and just the fact that Cody Parkey, you know, he had that one game against the uh, Lions where he hit the cross or the upright four times. And yeah, I believe it was four times. And just to have it happen here, it, it's just – It's almost a surreal moment.
2: Yeah, and I I just couldn't believe that, you know, as soon as NBC started putting that stat right under Cody Parkey's name, as he was warming up, getting ready to come onto the field, where it said he missed 10 total field goals throughout this year uh, with field goals and extra point attempts with 10 total being missed, I just kind of got this eerie feeling in my stomach that he was not in for a smooth ride. And he ended up actually putting that first one through before uh, Peterson called that timeout. And then Peterson called the timeout to ice him, and then it kind of set the stage for this, this kick to happen. And I just couldn't, because the camera angle looked a little weird when they were shooting... Um, showing the replays where I Mm -hmm. couldn't tell what ended up actually happening. And then I realized the ball ended up hitting that upright first and then hit the crossbar and then came down back to kind of show that it missed the field goal. I just couldn't believe that it actually happened in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was uh, (laughs) – I mean, the Bears-Eagles game, I think that was a highlight. Have you ever seen anything like that? I couldn't – I I couldn't even believe that. Yeah, I I've definitely never seen anything like that. And the fact that this is coming from Cody Parkey, who had a problem with it throughout the season, it, it, it's just surreal. And one, I mean, yeah, I I couldn't believe we couldn't get a good camera angle, maybe of the side. Like every sort of replay didn't have a clean cut from the side of the double doink. I mean, the best angle I saw was it hit the upright, it hit the, um, you know, the lower crossbar area, and then it sort of just bounced out.
2: Right. And I, I mean, I couldn't tell if it had gone through or it hadn't gone through yet. So it was kind of imperative to see if they could get that right camera angle or not, but preceding that missed field goal because i think all the talk is going to be about that missed field goal how did park Mm -hmm. miss it it was only 43 yards that's something that should be pretty automatic for a lot of field goal kickers rex ryan even came out and he i think he was on one of those espn talking shows and said that a field goal kicker only has one job to do our old coach of the jets and I mean, I feel a little bit bad for Parkey in that obviously he kept his team in the game with kicking three field goals previously. But a 43-yarder yep. was pretty manageable for an NFL kicker. They're usually expected to make kicks like that. And even though it was a tough pressure-packed situation, that's what most kickers get to uh, are paid for, to make those pressure-packed situation kicks. But proceeding, yep. but proceeding all of that stuff. I mean, how could you not like what Nick Foles ended up doing during this game? He ended up driving hmm. the Eagles down the field during that two-minute drive or the last couple minutes, and ended up throwing that that touchdown pass to Golden Tate on that fourth and goal, and it was just yep. an unbelievable drive that Foles was able to create and there's this narrative and storyline now that over these past two post seasons that Nick Foles has something special going on with this Eagles team.
1: Yeah. I mean, big Dick Nick, <laughs> he just, <laughs> he showed up, he showed up again. I mean, this is his time. He, he always comes to play. I mean, I mean last year we saw it in the playoffs and right now we're seeing it too. Like he had to win three really hard muscling games to even get the team in the playoffs like to beat the Rams right and you know for them to come out away beat the Bears um you know in in Soldier Field like it's pretty spectacular what Nick Foles has been able to do and if you just see like the demeanor of the guy throughout the game it's just like complete calmness right it's it's pretty incredible how calm he is in these situations even in that you know the fourth and, like, the the touchdown with Golden Tate, right? I strangely felt, like, a sense of calm, right? Like, I'm like, this guy is playing with house money, right? He, even if, uh, you sort of just believe that Nick Foles would get something done at that moment. It just makes you sort of believe in miracles at this point. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's just made me,
2: it's just like a Hollywood story, on. In in terms of the way this guy was a backup quarterback on this team, Carson Wentz is a star young quarterback, and how Foles has seamlessly taken this team almost to greater heights. And it's pretty crazy that Foles has been able to do this now for the second year um, in the postseason. And I'm pretty shocked that he was able to play this well especially against this Bears defense and I think the Bears defense played pretty decently. Pretty well. they, pick, they picked off Foles twice. They stopped the run game of the of the Eagles and it was all pretty reliant on what Foles could do uh driving this team. I mean, the Eagles only scored sixteen points. It's not like they they had a ton of points against this against this Bears defense or anything like that. But some mm. but I thought what was if you look at the numbers in terms of how many times Spoles got sacked, he only got sacked once.
1: Khalil Mack
2: didn't – while he did put a couple pressures on him, he didn't have that –
1: Yeah, neutralized.
2: Right. He didn't have that unbelievable impact that we saw earlier in the year, especially, like, during that first game of the year against the Packers. Mm -hmm. He didn't have that impact that you would hope to see from one of the – probably best three defenders in the, in the league. So I think that was a little bit left to be, I don't know. I think something that I think Chicago was a, hoping for a little bit more, but I mean, there's not much you can really say about Nick Foles is except for man, Can he do it against the saints next week? But on the other side of things, what did you think about what Trubisky kind of did throughout this game? He ended up with some pretty decent numbers, threw for over 300 yards, had a touchdown, yep. no no interceptions. But it just seemed like they
1: weren't able to convert any of their chances. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I, I thought actually Mitchell Trubisky played relatively well. I actually thought that he probably played worse than you know, what ended up happening. Right. He was he was hitting his receivers on target for most of the time. Um there were definitely a few like head scratching plays. There's that one throw where he was um you know, he should have gone picked off in the end zone. Right. Yeah. He the yeah. Philadelphia cornerback um, or safety just, you know, totally dropped the ball. So he definitely should have had one interception. But overall, I think Trubisky played relatively well for, you know, a rookie quarterback sort of thrown into that, um, you know, situation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: I think overall the Eagles defense really impressed me, especially mm-hmm. to keep a team that had been performing pretty decently in the Chicago Bears to only 15 points, especially with a lot of the injuries that they had. In the secondary, it still impressed me that they were able to keep it together against the Chicago team, even though this Chicago offense isn't super impressive for renown or anything like that. It mm. still impressed me that the Eagles were able to keep this team to only 15 points and was, were, was yeah. able to play some good red zone defense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I give a lot of credit to the Philadelphia Eagles defense here. Um just to stop them from converting on those touchdowns and, you know, those bigger plays like, you know, Cody, Cody Parkey, the fact that he had to kick four field goals. Right. I mean, it just shows that Chicago wasn't able to convert their opportunities, right. When they were in the red zone. I think a second thing here is just, you know, on the plate calling with the Chicago bears, it really was sort of head scratching that one two point play.
2: Right to Taylor yeah. G- Gabriel on that, like three, yeah. it was a weird formation. They kind of gave that inside handoff or pitch to Gabriel and he ended up getting stuffed at the line. Um, I don't, yeah, that, I'm not
1: exactly sure if I would have called that play to pull out. And yeah, that was definitely a head scratching play because, you know, as the thing that struck me was like, as the play was going on, like Chris Collins, were um, was literally talking about, you know, like, oh, Matt Nagy likes to, um, you know, really have those sort of diversion players and, and, and really just have them be like this, this setup, right? Right. And, you know, off we see Cleo Mack in motion, like running off to one side and, you know, they try and do this, um, you know, diversion play, which fails pretty horribly, actually. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when when are when you know, what when even the commentators are understanding what you're doing, I think you're in a lot of trouble there. Exactly. And, I mean, I I think Nagy, Nagy's maybe not
2: necessarily all of his play calling, but I think his game management his clock management also frustrated me a little bit as well, kind of, kind of towards the end of the game when Philly was driving and they were first in goal and he didn't end up calling timeouts because he needed to preserve time, honestly, because Mm -hmm. it looked like the Eagles were on the doorstep with about two yards to go with second. I think it was second down. He could have called the timeout. He decides just to let the clock run instead, and the Eagles end up going for it on fourth down, obviously, scoring on fourth down, and then Chicago only had 40 seconds or so, 50 seconds.
1: Or so yeah, like left
2: in, right left in the it game to out. kind of drive down the field and that kind of got nullified with Tariq Cohen's good return. But mm-hmm. at the same time it would have been nice to have the extra thirty or so seconds instead of you know, time out. the one timeout in in that in that sequence because I think Trubisky has been in that situation long enough now that he understands that he can get his team into field goal position in a the, in the minute and a half. But, I mean, all of that is kind of moot because Parky missed the kick, all that type of stuff. He ended up making a beautiful throw on that drive to set up that kick. Mm-hmm. And I guess it kind of comes full circle where, where we're talking about all these points, but ultimately if Parky makes that kick, we're not even really talking about Nick Foles this huge narrative about whether or not he can kind of carry the Eagles further, and basically be talking about what a good great job Maggie did did and what the Bears did to that Philadelphia offense.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and not to talk about implications from this game here, but I mean, what, what do the Eagles do with Nick Foles at this point and Carson Wentz, right? I think that we're starting to get in that sort of territory where, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, Carson Wentz has been a little bit injury prone. Nick Foles has shown that he it's, it's really not a fluke. So I think that we're starting to get in that territory where, you know, do the Eagles potentially look for some trade offers for Carson Wentz?
2: I mean, I think that's a really interesting conversation to have. I'm so like, pretend the Jets didn't have a quarterback and we didn't have Darnold or whatever. What would you what would you realistically trade for Carson Wentz if you're a quarterback needy team um
1: and the Eagles decide to keep polls? Probably two first rounders depending but depends on where those first round picks sort of fall out. If I'm gonna get like a top if I think I'm getting like two like top fives, top seven picks, um, you know, I'd probably hold on to the picks, but I would probably give two first rounders across
2: and if you if you're the Eagles, would you do that if you're in that in that
1: position? I mean I don't I think I could probably ask for more. Um some team will probably pay me more than two first rounders in my opinion. But I mean I'd I seriously consider that to be honest.
2: Yeah, and I think as the longer this keeps going on, let's say let's say Foles ends up beating the Saints this weekend and then kind of leads them to the NFC championship game and you know, God forbid Foles ends up winning the Super Bowl again for the second consecutive year. It just seems like that would be really, really tough. To let go of a of a player like that, especially because Wentz, while this year he had a pretty decent year, but the team was, I think six and seven or so, right? Six and seven when he ended up leaving or getting hurt. So it's yep. not like they had an amazing record compared compared to last year, where Wentz was on fire and, and ended up leaving the Eagles with the number one seed. In the NFC yep. this year, while he had pretty decent stats,
1: the team itself
2: was mediocre, and maybe you can't pin all that on Wentz.
1: But no, I don't think he can.
2: Right, right. But I, I mean, they had a lot of injury problems in the secondary. Their running backs yep. were all hurt. Things like that. But the fact that Foles has been able to lead this team in the way that the way and the manner that he has been able to lead them. I think is going to start drawing a ton of questions if Foles is able to even beat the Saints this weekend. So we'll get into the preview of that uh, later in the podcast. Mm -hmm. But what I did want to transition to um, is talk about some of the other games that happened this weekend because, I mean, the Eagles-Bears game was just incredible in terms of drama, things like that. But I did want to talk about the other three games that ended up happening. The Ravens and Chargers game, I thought, was there was a uh, a late flurry in there at the end of the game for the Ravens as Lamar Jackson tried to lead the Ravens back, and they did have the ball and had the opportunity with about forty seconds left to kind of score a touchdown and and win the game. They weren't able to do it, and they're down twenty three to three with like seven minutes left in the game. Yep. and up until that point the Ravens had not produced anything offensively and the struggles were bad for the Ravens it, i mean the home crowd was booing them um booing Lamar Jackson every time he got sacked got sacked a total of 7 times i believe turned the mm-hmm. ball over a couple times so what were i mean what were your thoughts while you were watching this game unfold especially with the way
1: Lamar Jackson looked yeah I mean we talk about this all the time and this is why I sort of give a lot of emphasis to that sort of playoff and you know veteran experience and you know a lot of times with rookies they're just going to be nervous right they're going to be more fumble prone like you know just maybe even try and do a little bit too much Right. And we constantly saw Lamar Jackson holding on to the ball for too long. Maybe he was looking for that perfect throw or trying to like create magic out of nothing when it wasn't there. But he held on to the ball too much, got sacked seven times. Right. And, you know, for that first half, really just did not look good. Um, the play, Probably the, the play first, cal-
2: three, first three and a half quarters, he didn't look good at all.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and there were some real questions whether Joe Flacco was going to get put back in. Right. Yeah, they're talking
2: about that all the time in the telecast about is Flacco coming back in and what's happening. Um and I was I mean, what were your thoughts on whether or not Flacco should have came in earlier or not?
1: Yeah, we talked about this. I mean Romo was saying in the in the broadcast that he should come in. Um, you know, you were saying that he should come in. You know, I was sort of leaning on that side that, you know, Flacco at this point should come in because Lamar Jackson just hasn't been able to do it, but um, I mean, Harbaugh eventually ended up just sticking with Lamar Jackson. Probably didn't want to hurt his confidence for the future is what mm-hmm. I'm thinking here. Right. Cause that would have, that definitely would have been a huge blow to this guy's confidence and his ego. At least he could hold his head up high in the fact that he did play relatively well, um, at least for that last quarter. Right. Right. But, but overall, right. I mean, it's it's really interesting what the Chargers did where they – I think they basically add, had, like, three safeties playing, right? Right. And
2: there was that stat, um, I think, that was being reported all throughout sports radio, on ESPN, um, things like that post-game post, post game where 98% of their, the defensive stat snaps for the Chargers – there were seven DBs on the field. So I think it was three safeties and four cornerbacks that were on the field for the Chargers. I think a little bit had to do with some of the injury problems that they had with Benzel Perryman being out, uh, one of their linebackers, um, due to an injury. And that kind of caused them to go this way and play seven DBs. But I think that had been a really interesting wrinkle in their defensive philosophy. And I think I read a stat in comparison to the NFL average of, I think they were of like having, two I think it was two or 3% of defensive snaps. So it was pretty, it was a pretty crazy, crazy way, uh, way to play defense, especially against Lamar Jackson, especially against that running game that, the Baltimore Ravens had you'd expect to kind of put maybe more stout guys in there to stop the run, but Mm. it actually ended up working out pretty well for them in terms of stopping the, stopping the run, uh, with those seven DBs.
1: Yeah. To basically just get that. I mean, this is what I'm assuming here, but basically just to get that speed, uh, cover more ground on the field. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's also, they had seven DBs and they still got seven sacks. So it's not like they really needed any more pressure. They were able to sort of get it done. I mean, without, <laughs> without, yeah. and to the highlight, actual, like linebackers or anything.
2: Right. And to highlight one of the players, I mean, Melvin Ingram just had an amazing game for them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he had, he ended up having two sacks. He ended up uh, recovering a fumble that, that fumbled to, to end the game. Um, and I think he was a real impact player for them, and that front front four, including Bosa, uh really created a ton of pressure for the Chargers. And I mean, I think some of them were coverage sacks in that Lamar Jackson kind of held onto the ball, like the ball too much. way too long, like you were t- talking about earlier yep. in the pod. But it's, he didn't help them do a great job of getting the ball out quickly or helping his offensive line by getting the ball out quickly. And the Ravens didn't really start this game out too hot either. They ended up putting the ball on the ground three times with one of them resulting as a turnover. So that wasn't a great start within, I think it was in the first five minutes or so, there were three fumbles uh, by the Ravens. So it kind of had that feeling and that I guess, momentum to that, to the game where it was just, if you're a Ravens fan or from the Ravens perspective, it just felt like, oh man, it's going to be one of those games where we're going to have to deal with a ton of adversity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, we, we talked about this earlier in prior weeks too, but, when the Chargers are on, um, I don't even think the offense played particularly well. Part of that's because they're playing away against the Ravens, probably one of the top two defenses in the NFL. But, I mean, that that defense definitely looked quite impressive, especially, um, you know, that front four with Ingram and Bosa, always being able to put some pressure onto uh, Lamar Jackson.
2: Right. And, I mean, you kind of alluded to it the chargers offense didn't look great either and i mean granted it was against the number 1 defense in the baltimore ravens and baltimore the the baltimore d really did a pretty good job of keeping the keeping the chargers outside of the end zone for the, for as long as they did because they limited the chargers to all these field goals and really, really kind of uh, allowed that Baltimore comeback to end up happening towards the end of the game or possible Mm -hmm. comeback. And that, that can all just be kind of maybe some concerns for the Chargers. But I think if you look on the other side of the coin with Michael Badgley, who is their field goal kicker, he's actually from Summit, New Jersey, Summit High School, all that type of stuff. Um mm. which is pretty exciting that he's the local guy. He ended up kicking four field goals um in the game and was able to really solidify that position for the Chargers that they yep. had so much trouble with. I mean, unfortunately for our guy Young Haiku, you know what I mean? Like,
1: yep, yep. Yep, like yeah. He's he's really
2: been able to solidify that position. So they to know a that that's Right. They know that that they can rely on him when it gets into these pressure moments, especially against
1: New England next weekend. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll definitely preview this next um but I mean, the Chargers playing New England, that's that's a, that's a pretty great matchup for the Chargers in my opinion. But we'll get to that. Sure. Yep. And then I
2: also wanted to get to that Saturday night game, the Cowboys versus Seattle. Um my just quick general thoughts on what you thought about this game. Um, I mean, I there's a couple storylines coming out of this game that kind of jumped to mind for me. Uh Sebastian Janikowski getting injured during the game ending when he attempted that fifty seven yarder, I believe, uh mm-hmm. to end the half for Seattle really changed the dynamics of this game and the play calling of the game when it turned to the second half.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a pretty huge moment. I mean, I can't believe he was attempting a 57-yard field goal. Um, I, I 40 years old,
2: right? I know. Yeah, I mean, he has a leg for it. He's known to have a, a really strong leg, but the fact that he's, fought, you know, got injured because he tr overstrided or ended up over I don't know trying to kick this ball way too hard it makes it pretty hilarious. Like, yeah makes it seem like all right he probably should retire
1: at this point maybe
2: just maybe
1: yeah i mean overall reaction from the game is i mean i guess i guess uh if if we're looking at the calls we made before Um, I mean, you got the, the Eagles one, we both got the charged one and, um, you know, I thought that this would be a very sort of close game, relatively low scoring 22, 24. Um, and yeah, sort of what we, what we said, right? Like Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott running the ball, running it effectively against a pretty soft Seahawks run defense. And that's sort of the game plan that Garrett went with, right? Sort of surprised how, you know. Pleasantly surprised how well Dak played. And, you know, Amari Cooper is just proving each week that he was sort of worth that first-round pick at this point. I mean, it's pretty solidified that he was definitely worth his first-round pick, right? But, you know, Ezekiel Elliott really relying on that run game um, was why the Dallas Cowboys won this week. Yeah, and I think
2: Zeke looked extremely well against that Seahawks defense. Um, it was pretty expected that he was going to get the ball a ton, um, in this matchup. And I think Dak really impressed me in this game, other than that one pretty bad underthrown ball that ended, that resulted in a resulted in a pick during, in the red zone. I think mm-hmm. he played a really, really solid game against Seattle And I was really impressed with the way he threw the ball, uh, found Amari Cooper, and then also used his legs. He ended up scoring a touchdown by running one in as well. So that really impressed me. And, I mean, it's impressed me that the Cowboys' defense has looked the way they have. They looked really impressive against Seattle. Other than Tyler Lockett getting open down the field, they
1: looked really That was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could not believe that the uh Dallas Cowboys led the Seahawks back into this game uh with that pretty ridiculous Tyler Lockett like completely open. I, I don't even know what happened on that play. But that game I thought was going to be over until uh, um until you know, until that Tyler Lockett play.
2: Yeah, and I think the real story of the game was uh with Seattle really relying on their run game up until this game they had really heavily relied on that run game so that it could set up a lot of the rpos that russell wilson could kind of run um, to really fake out defenders and then also open things up for doug baldwin and tyler lockett and if you look at the rushing stats for seattle all their running backs combined for 24 carries for 73 yards um, and this was a team that was averaging somewhere close to 150 yards or so um, throughout this stretch run of when they, be, when they were becoming this number one rushing uh, team. And that really, I think, was a primary concern for, for the Cowboys in being able to stop the run so that it was kind of in Russell's hands and seeing whether or not he could take advantage on the outside. And ultimately they weren't able to do that. Kind of made it interesting towards the end of the game. Uh kind yep. of went for went for two points. Michael Dixon wasn't unfortunately wasn't able to kind of come up with a better onside kick at the end of the game. I thought was, was kind of unfortunate. I don't know what you kind of what you call that onside kick when he dropped kicked it the way he yeah. did.
1: Yeah, it almost seemed like he missed time his kick. I, I don't know if he actually... Yeah, yeah I mean, that I was one of I'm the worst exactly offside sure. kicks I've seen. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what he was
2: trying to do. Like, Don't you think... I don't know. I just feel like you kind of have to hit that a little bit softer to be able to... Or lower to that. that. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Or don't you think you kind of just do one of those things where you you just rip it into one of the guys and see if it takes a huge ricochet or bounce off one of the players and yep. then hope for hope for a crazy bounce or something like that. But it kind of seemed like he – I don't know what he was thinking in trying to make that kick where he floated it up like that about 30 yards or so.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure anyone sort of knew. I mean, immediately you saw Pete Carroll's face. Um, yeah. So to sort of discuss that that's how the season was going to end and it being literally a zero chance uh, that they get an opportunity.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think that key, the key play was not being able to stop Prescott on that third and 14 when they were driving, and Prescott ended up making a huge run toward, in the middle of the field to For convert special. that third and 14 preceding that touchdown that put um, hmm. Dallas up by 10 points. And if they were able. to able to stop them there. I would have been pretty confident in Russell Wilson leading uh, the Seahawks on that 2-minute drill and scoring a go-ahead touchdown. But I think that that was ultimately the demise of of um the Seahawks.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it was definitely a great game. Overall, Dak was I mean, if Dak plays like this, Zeke plays like this and the defense continues to play at that high level, It's not inconceivable, you know, looking forward a little bit that the Dallas Cowboys could make, you know, continue their run. Yeah,
2: it really isn't inconceivable. Um, We'll talk about that more in the previews. Maybe I have an upset prediction in that game as well. Uh, We'll see about that. But – or maybe you can convince me out of that um, (laughs) way of thinking. But I think that – I mean, all these underdogs, I think if you look at wild card weekend – it kind of shows the depth and the strength of mm. of the NFL itself this year in terms of there not being a clear-cut favorite because during this wild card weekend um if you looked at all the lines all four underdogs ended up covering the lines um yep. and then three of the underdogs end, ended up winning outright so it's not what mm-hmm. li- it's not like there is a ton of there there's a clear cut favorite in any of these matchups and even if there is according to vegas and things like that on the field it's a lot closer than it actually um than maybe vegas is saying it is
1: yeah i mean i i i totally agree that yeah it was uh, a weekend for the under underdogs here and um you know Relatively good weekend for us to call to go three and one.
2: Yeah, um, I know both call. of
1: us. Both of us went three and one.
2: With you ended up taking a loss because of Cody Parkey, basically. Um, yeah. And then for me, I ended up losing uh, because I ended up choosing Seattle over the Cowboys. But getting to our last game of the weekend, I think this is probably the most the most boring game. And the Colts look completely dominant in this uh, matchup against Houston. Um, yep. In that first matchup of, of the of the Saturday games, where Indianapolis jumped out to a twenty-one zip lead at halftime, and Houston wasn't able to get anything going offensively, which and which pretty which surprised me a little bit in that they weren't able to establish anything. I thought um, Pierre Desir, who was one of the cornerbacks that was um, guarding and on matching up against DeAndre Hopkins did an extremely good job on Hopkins and being able yep. to neutralize him. And I was really impressed with that. And Deshaun Watson didn't look anything special at all.
1: Yeah, I mean Deshaun Deshaun didn't look it wasn't his best game, but overall I think the Colts the Colts were just very impressive both on offense and defense. Um really really just look a like a very complete team at this point for some reason. Like they have the quarterback Marlon Mack right now. Um he averaged six yards in the game, um, twenty four carries, hundred forty eight yards, one touchdown here. Um, <clears throat> you know, they have the playmakers on offense, TY TY Eric ebron as the red zone threat. Um and finally on defense, you know, Darius Leonard, he is everywhere on that field. He is he covers so much ground. He's one of the fastest linebackers I think I've seen right? And, you know, secondary played relatively well. Overall, the fact that Texans couldn't get any pressure on Andrew Luck, zero sacks, right? That's, you know, I it's I, I keep looking forward and when I think about it, like Kansas City, I believe, leads the league in, in sacks,
2: correct? Correct. Yeah, I think they do.
1: That's going to definitely be an interesting matchup: the offensive line of the Colts and the uh, the defensive line for um, the Chiefs here. But I mean, when you have Davion Clowney and and uh, JJ Watt I, to get zero sacks and and I, it didn't look like Andrew Luck was relatively rushed whatsoever. I mean, I think that's sort of the key difference here in the game: the lines, right? And and Desha- Deshaun Watson you know, three sacks, but definitely, definitely under a lot of duress.
2: Yeah. And he definitely was under a lot of duress. And I mean, going back to what you were saying about Andrew Luck and the protection of that offensive line, um, you talk about Quentin Nelson, Glowinski, that Ryan Kelly, the center, um, Costanzo, they're all able to really do a great job of protecting Luck this year. And, And there's been a, a huge highlight in this unit between um, what they showed last year and then Mm -hmm. the change as to what they've shown this year and how, you know, Nelson's really added to this group. And I think it's a combination of a lot of things, like we talked about in our preview of this game last week, where Luck is getting rid of the ball a lot quicker in this offense under Frank Reich, and then he's also been able to get the protection that he's wanted all of his career. I think they've only given up 18 sacks throughout the whole year um, this year, which is an incredible stat. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be an extremely important matchup as they move forward um, against Kansas City next weekend.
1: Agreed. I mean, yeah. But overall, relatively boring game I mean the Colts were pretty dominant and even in the final quarter no one really believed that Houston was going to have much of a chance to come back
2: I totally agree and it, it ultimately was a pretty boring game I think one thing to highlight is towards the end of that first half and the Colts were up 21 zip. they're driving and they kind of botched some of the uh, the management the time management
1: It seemed Mm -hmm. like
2: it was just bad play clock or clock management at the end of the first half. So they're not going to, they're going to have to clean some of that up um, because they're not going to be able to leave points on the field against Kansas city um, this weekend. So that's going to be something that they have to figure out and hopefully that they're able to clean up for
1: uh, the game this weekend. Agreed. Agreed. But I mean, Definitely an interesting matchup, a ton of interesting matchups. I mean, as as we sort of close out the uh, Wild Card Weekend, which was definitely a very, you know, a lot of great games. I'd say three out of four games were definitely interesting. Um, I'm really looking forward to this divisional round, though. I think that each of these matchups here has has a potential to be a classic. Yeah, and I
2: think it's really important to – not overreact to a lot of the things that we've seen in the wild card matchups because I think it's so easy to overreact and kind of be flooded with this recency bias of what we saw this weekend. And you, we, you start to forget a little bit because maybe let's let's say for example the Saints haven't played a meaningful game in about three weeks because they sat their starters. You start to forget some of the things that these teams that had that were on buys and why they deserve those buys and we'll kind of see that this upcoming weekend so i think that's one of the things as we go on to our predictions and our previews for this weekend's divisional matchups is to not overreact to what we saw last weekend
1: yeah i totally agree i mean for this we could discuss the game starting with Saturday, but, um, you know, I'm liking a lot of the favorites here. Yeah. So why don't we go to that first game, um,
2: talking about the Colts um, against the Chiefs and it's going to be at Arrowhead stadium. The Chiefs are five and a half point favorites as of now. What are your thoughts about this game? Preview some, give us some preview or give us some, thoughts on what you think of Andrew Luck and how they're going to look against this struggling KC defense and what you think Pat Mahomes can kind of do
1: in his first playoff game. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like the Colts here and I I mean, for some reason I I just can't go with the Colts, but here's why I do like them, right? So I think the first thing is, you know, Andrew Luck's been there, done that before. He is the sort of veteran of the two quarterbacks here. Um, Second thing here is, you know, in terms of defense, right, I do think the Colts defense is significantly better than the Chiefs defense um, just in being able to make stops, right? I think, you know, third and last point is, I really just think that the Colts' offense will be able to hang around with the Chiefs, right? I, I think that the Chiefs' defense just isn't very good. Like Their their pass defense and, and, honestly, run defense are pretty historically bad. So I, I do think that even though the, the Colts are going to be playing away, they will be able to somewhat keep up. Even with all those sort of reasons um, to like the Colts, I think I'm gonna still go with the Chiefs here. I I like the home crowd. I don't know if I believe in Andy Reid, but I mean what he's been able to do with Patrick Mahomes has been extremely impressive. So I I, I you know this game has the highest over under of 57 um, compared to the other three games. Um, you know by a whole touchdown about. So I, I think it's gonna be a very high scoring game. I just think that Patrick Mahomes um, is able to basically outscore the Colts maybe like, you know, 35 to who knows, like 31-something.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I'm going with the upset pick. I think I'm taking the Colts in this game. Interesting. Um, Yeah, and I think for all for all the reasons that you outlined, I think that's why I'm taking the Colts. That key matchup that we outlined before between that the Colts' offensive line and then the pass rush of the Chiefs um, who ended up leading the, or being tied for the league leaders in sacks, I think that's going to be the key matchup. If the Colts are able to call a game plan that gets the ball out of Andrew Luck's hands very quickly, also utilize the run game with Marlon Mack, Uh, and be able to continue to run the ball because that's where the Chiefs have struggled in terms of their run defense and then have have Luck utilize that play-action fake and be able to go over the top to T.Y. Hilton, to Dontrell Inman, and be able to utilize some of those play-action plays and calls, then I think the Colts are really going to be able to take advantage of that and I'm really looking forward to seeing what Frank Reich does in terms of play calling because I think there's a lot of different ways that he can go, whether it be slow it down, kind of go 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 to a grind and kind of see if they can kind of play a ball possession game and and keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands and keep him on the sideline. So I wouldn't be surprised with that method if that's where Frank Reich decides to go and be very methodical with limiting possessions for the Chiefs. So I would not be surprised about that. But I still think it's going to be a pretty high scoring game,
1: but I'm going with the Colts in this one. Interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, I I just think that the, you know, Mahomes, I think they're just going to be able to convert touchdowns, right? And that sort of game plan works when it's a relatively tight game. But if the Colts aren't able to convert, right, it's going to be tough to keep relying on that uh, run game. And they're going to, you know, sort of force Andrew Luck to pass. right? Yeah, Which,
2: and sorry about that. Go
1: ahead. I was just going to it's I mean, I think Andrew Luck will be able to pass. I just think that Mahomes um, – I mean, it's not like I, – I, I really don't think that short uh, what's it called uh, Marlon Mack is that much of a better running back than someone like Damian Williams. You know, Damian Williams is averaging 5.1 yards, um, or I believe 4.7. Yeah, he's averaging, you know, a high amount of yards per carry, probably in line with someone like Marlon Mack. So I, it's it, it's not like the running game is any more effective for the for the Colts than the Chiefs for me, right? I just I just think that. Chiefs at home. You, you finally have the one seed. I mean, honestly, probably a, a little bit more talented team, especially in offense, with the amount of weapons you have, the amount of athletic weapons you have. Um, I, I just think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and and Mahomes and that offense hopefully can can keep it home.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the one stat that kind of that I was kind of gleaning over as I was analyzing this matchup was the third down stat for the Colts in terms of them being number one in the league um, in converting third downs. Uh, Mm. And I think that's going to be definitely a key stat. And if they're able to uphold that stat. I think
1: they will be. I guess it's keeps defense here.
2: Yeah. And if they're able to uphold that stat and then stay out of third downs, and then when they are in third downs,
1: be able to convert
2: on close to 50% then I think it's going to extend, of, extend a ton of drives and then that in turn is going to be able to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands uh, and that Chiefs offense. So that's going to be a huge key to the game, I, I feel like. And if they're able to do that, then I'm rolling with Indy and mm. we'll see what happens. Because I think a lot of the experts are going, are kind of finding a lot of these reasons to like the Colts, but and they're going to really choose the Chiefs at the end of the day, maybe because of ancillary reasons like home field advantage. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs won at all, especially being at home um, with Andy Reid, with the play calling, with Mahomes, that high, high-powered offense. I just feel like the Colts have something special right now going on, especially with them go- – being on this kind of hot streak and losing only one game in their past twelve games or so. So that's kind of the wave that I'm riding on. So we'll see what ends up happening. I think it's gonna be a really fascinating matchup. And like you said, all these matchups in the divisional round are incredible matchups to look at uh look forward to. So moving on to the next game, to so the night game on Saturday, The Cowboys versus Rams. The Rams are favored by seven at home. What are your general thoughts on on this game? You kind of alluded to a possible upset before um, in the pod. How do you feel about the Cowboys possibly taking this one over the Rams?
1: Yeah, I mean, I want to choose some upsets. And honestly, I'm really looking hard at this Colts-Chiefs game again. Potentially picking the Colts here. Oh. So we'll we'll get back to that at the end. Okay. Um, but I mean, for me here, I I still like the Rams, even though it's going to be in L.A. I'm not sure there's going to be that much of a home field, um, advantage. But I, I mean, it's Sean McVay versus Jason Garrett, right? And you know, I I I just can't. I can't trust Jason Garrett in this kind of situation just yet. Um, And in terms of talent, right, I I just think that the Rams are just so much more talented than a team like the Cowboys. Um, You know, for all that Dak's done in the past, um, you know, few weeks where he's looked like a serviceable, maybe even above average kind of quarterback, you know, I, I, I still think that the weapons that the Rams have and, You know, just the star power should put the Rams above the Cowboys.
2: Yeah, I think I'm taking the Rams in this one. I just can't fully trust in Jason Garrett and that, that, I guess, Cowboys offense completely. I don't know if I trust Dak yet. He's looked pretty decent. Exactly. He's looked pretty decent, but I don't fully trust in that team yet. And I'm really impressed by Jason Garrett in terms of the things that he does on that team in terms of, I don't know. It just seems like I don't know exactly if I can trust him in big situations. Um, There's some questionable play calls. There's some questionable decisions in terms of game management that I would be concerned with. Also, in terms of what the Rams can do offensively, I think that's something that it,
1: the Cowboys just can't keep up with.
2: Right. And I mean, the Cowboys are a completely different team compared on the road compared to being at home, even mm. though being in LA, it's not like a huge home field advantage or anything like that. Mm. I, I'm i not exactly sure if the Cowboys just have it at, when they're on the road. So I think that's something that I would be a little bit concerned with as well. Um, I think this kind of all rides on the health of Todd Gurley. Gurley's kind of been dealing with some injuries and he's been out of the lineup in and out uh, the past couple of weeks. So I'd be somewhat concerned with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely concerned with Todd Gurley, but I mean, all indications sort of point to the fact that he's going to play, um, I'm, I'm I'm assuming he'll be at like at least 90%, and I think that'll be enough to get it done um, against the Cowboys. I I just don't think that the Cowboys will be able to keep up in terms of number of points here. And the defense is good, but like you were alluding to, that's that's sort of at home. Um, Cowboys are three and five away. I just don't think that they're gonna be able to keep up with the Rams here.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I think I think we're both in agreement and we're ultimately going to take the Rams. But I think it's also another interesting matchup as well because that that Cowboys defense has been very impressive to me, especially that core of linebackers with Leighton Vander Esch and uh, Jalen Smith. They've looked particularly impressive. It's I'm not exactly sure if they can hold up on the outsides, um, especially against Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods,
1: yeah. And the lines, I mean, the lines for both the Colts and Chiefs, and i said the Cowboys and Rams, no, they seem a little bit high. I think I think so be five so and a half, way. five and a half. I I would put that probably around like four and a half, right? And I'd probably put the Cowboys and Rams around somewhere like five mm-hmm. or six even.
2: Yeah, right? I think it's a little bit high. It might come down later in the week, but we'll end up seeing what happens with the lines in that manner, but I'm pretty confident in the Rams in this game. I'd be pretty surprised yep. if they ended up losing. Jamie, agreed. Agreed. So let's move on to the Sunday games. The Chargers versus the Patriots. I think this is going to be a really, really fascinating matchup. I'm really curious to see which team you end up taking in this matchup. And the Patriots are favored by four, which isn't a lot, and it kind of shows how good the Chargers are on the road. I think they're 8-1 and this year on the road, including that playoff win last week against the Ravens in Baltimore. So there is a lot of – I think there's a lot of questions as to whether or not the Patriots are a normal Patriots team where they – they kind of cruise through this round and almost always make it to that AFC championship game. What are your general thoughts on this game? And do we have a possible upset brewing in New England?
1: Yeah, so I think we do have a little upset brewing in England, uh, New England. I mean, New England has, like, extremely impressive at home. They're 8-0, right? So for all all the fact that, you know, the Patriots have, are on the decline, right, I mean, there ain't no at home, so they're still that pretty dominant force uh, when they're playing in Foxborough, but I, I, I think that the Chargers are just a much, much, much more talented team um, than the Patriots here. So that's why I'm going to go with the Chargers to get the upset in Foxborough. Um, I definitely want to keep an eye out on the weather here a little bit, but I, the Chargers the fact that they were able to play such a complete game against the Ravens. Um, I thought the offense wasn't even playing to its full, you know, potential. I think that Phillip Rivers still has that extra level. I think that Melvin Gordon was not playing well. I mean, he put the ball on the ground um, in the touchdown, in my opinion, right? And, um, you know, when you have weapons like Keenan Allen, I, I, I just don't think that New England secondary could keep up with all the weapons, Um a wide receiver that the Chargers have, Mike Williams, Um, you know, even a change of pace back like Eckler. I I think that the Chargers have too many weapons on offense and on defense, right? We know that Tom Brady, you know, is a different sort of quarterback once he gets pressured. And I do think that Bosa, um, Melvin Ingram are going to be able to get a few sacks off Brady, which – which will be interesting. So I, I I actually don't even know if it'll be that close a game. In my opinion,
2: that's a fairly interesting assertion because I do have the Pats in this one actually pulling it out and winning at home. And it pains me as a Jets fan to be able to say that. But you kind of alluded to the home field advantage. Um, are we kind of overestimating this Patriots decline? Um, I think another thing that is important to say is that Philip Rivers is 0 and seven against Tom Brady. So that's mm. another another thing that we kinda have to consider. Another thing is the cold weather that you alluded to. It's gonna be pretty cold out twenty-nine degrees on Sunday. So it's not like it's gonna be not too bad. Extremely, extremely warm or anything like that. Um so that's another concern for Rivers as well. I mean, I think the weather thing might be a little bit overplayed or overanalyzed in terms of how cold it is. I think the other things that when I'm looking at this game is if the Chargers end up going that seven defensive back lineup like we were talking about earlier in the podcast, I would be highly concerned because this is the perfect opportunity um, for the Patriots to unload that two tight end set with Gronkowski because then it'll give them a lot of flexibility in, being, in terms of them being physical and them being able to run the ball. And I think that would be a huge concern for the Chargers defense if the Pats are able to kind of go through that.
1: Because... Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting that you think that they would go with that seven defensive back sort of scheme. Yeah. I thought that was a one-time thing with the uh, yeah. Ravens.
2: Maybe it, maybe it is a one-time thing, but some of the, I know some of the injuries that they're struggling with in terms of their linebacking core, I think that might be a possible concern. So I'm sure it is a one-time thing, but if they do go into any of that type of personnel, then I think the Patriots would be able to take advantage of that. And I think, that could really swing towards the Pats advantage and I, I i'm not exactly sure if i'm if i'm taking if i'm if ultimately if it comes down to Tom Brady or Philip Rivers and all, although Philip Rivers is a hall of fame caliber quarterback i'm taking Brady every time even though he might be a little bit diminished or declined
1: i mean that is definitely interesting i mean the P, the patriots I mean they lost to the Dolphins, they lost to the Steelers. Their past, their last four games, you know, lost to the Dolphins, lost to the Steelers, only able to put 10 points up on the Steelers. You know, they beat the Bills, they beat the Jets, two pretty, you know, bottom feeder teams, sorry, Jets. But, you know, even against the Vikings, only putting up 24. It, I I'm just not convinced with the Patriots ability to uh <laughs> amazing as it seems, like score a ton of points um, against the Chargers here. So I i I would be worried that, you know, once this game gets a little bit out of hand, if it gets out of hand, right, like what kind of weapons Tom Brady is going to look towards, right? We know Gronk isn't the same. Um, no more Josh Gordon. I mean, at Edelman and and, is Chris Hogan going to be the person who who kills you? I I don't think so. Right. Right. So I'm just not sure what kind of weapons Brady has. This is definitely one of the, the weakest sort of skill position, um, you know, wide receiver corpse and tight ends that Brady has ever had. Right. That coupled with, you know, some decline in his game, I just think that, you know, the Patriots are not the same team. They're the team that we sort of have been seeing in the regular season. Um, yeah. And I think that this is a Chargers sort of time.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I could definitely see that rationale. But I think what I've I'm been so dev- high on
1: the Chargers right. throughout the whole season.
2: I think what I'm defaulting to right now is the Patriots' home field advantage ultimately because the games that you did mention where they did struggle they were on the road so maybe that has kind of a a factor in in their struggle so I'm kind of defaulting to that home field advantage and basically yeah. putting it on Brady and hopefully that they're able to come through and hopefully, hopefully. I that that secondary is able to come through and shut down some of the some of Keenan Allen and I, I'm pretty sure that's what's going to end up happening where they put their number two guy on Keenan Allen with a safety over the top. And they kind of maybe go one-on-one with Mike Williams and take their chances yeah. from there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're just a little bit of a prisoner, Kev. You, we grew up watching the Patriots win for, I don't know, like 15 plus years at this point. I it, It's tough to ever imagine the decline, but I, I just, I think the Chargers are a more talented team, even though the Lions have, you know, four for New England. Well basically this I'll is my be, upset for the week.
2: So basically I'll be rooting for the Chargers and hoping that this pick is wrong for me, but I just kinda see it going the Pat's way in this one. So yeah. Mike. Yep. Yeah. Last game of the weekend, Eagles versus Saints. The line's at eight for the Saints right now, but I feel like you could kind of throw that out the window, especially with this magic that Nick Foles has with this Eagles team. I mean, logically speaking, you would expect the Saints to kind of cruise. It seems like they're favored in every facet of the game and against the Eagles. But it's there's something unexplainable about this Eagles team that you just can't really – put your finger on so i'm not exactly sure how to preview or prognosticate this matchup at all
1: i mean for me here so just to give some context to the listeners like new england is uh sorry the new orleans is favored by eight over the eagles this is the highest line of all four games um i mean yeah all sort of logic and all all everyone sort of believes that this sort of magical run for the Eagles ends this weekend um, as evidenced by the line. I I'm in that camp as well. I, you know, the Eagles have burned me quite a bit uh, last week and, you know, I I definitely didn't have them as an NFC sort of wildcard team. I had the Vikings and said, I think the, the run ends this weekend against the saints. Uh, I, I just, I think that I think that the saints are They're sort of my early pick to sort of make the Super Bowl from the NFC. I would be pretty shocked, to be honest, if the Saints lose to the Eagles, if that's the way the season ends for them. I totally agree with
2: you. I think the Saints ultimately end up winning this game, maybe not by the eight points uh, that they says that they're going to win by. Um, I think that's really high. Yeah, I mean – they have a great home field advantage um, in the Superdome. So it wouldn't be surprising if they pushed it to that, but I'm kind of expecting a pretty tight, close game. Um, The one thing that Drew Brees does a really good job of is spreading the ball across every target. And I mean, obviously focusing a lot on Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, but I think the one encouraging thing about that is the other targets are not huge names at all for new Orleans and Philly can kind of really focus their attention on those two top guys out of the back or um, Kamara out of the backfield and, and Michael Thomas on the outside. and really just hope that they could kind of take some of the blueprint of what Dallas did against new Orleans a couple, in the middle of the season and hopefully do that against um, New Orleans offense. And hmm. I mean, I, I'm taking the saints, honestly, but I, I'll be rooting for a really close game. I'll be rooting hmm. for the Eagles, honestly, to kind of see where Nick Foles can take this because it's a really cool story, a cool narrative to the NFL. And if Nick Foles is, was to keep on winning, there would be a ton of NFL drama. So I'm rooting for that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen this matchup um, earlier in the regular season, right? The Saints beat the Eagles 48-7 to at home. I, I just don't know if there's enough to sort of close that gap, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I know they – I'm not even sure if they had Golden State at this point, but it's it, – it just seems like not enough has changed um, in that time for – you know, for the Eagles to be able to beat the Saints. And, yeah, I, I just think that breathes I, – I feel like this is his year. Yeah. I I mean,
2: yeah, and maybe the change is Carson Wentz into Nick Foles. And maybe that's the that's a That's, that's
1: a 50-point swing.
2: Right, maybe that's the 50-point swing that the Eagles need to be able to carry this one through because Wentz didn't have a great game against the uh, – the Saints in that one because he threw three picks. So who knows? Maybe Foles is the the change that the Eagles need in this matchup. I mean, I'm taking the Saints, but I hope I'm wrong in this one because it would be fascinating with all the questions to see what ends up happening with the Eagles and Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles. If Nick Foles were able to pull this one out against the Saints So, I'll be rooting for the Eagles, but it'll be really fun to see what ends up happening as a result of that game. So, Mike, to clarify who we have in each matchup, are we only differentiated on the
1: Colts versus the Chiefs? And uh, Chargers-Patriots.
2: Okay. So, just to list them and go through the rundown, I have the Colts, the Rams, the Patriots, and the Saints. And then Michael has the Chiefs, the Rams, the Chargers, the
1: Saints. So we'll see what ends yep. up
2: happening
1: after this and, and, weekend. We're both tied 3-1. I, I, I feel I'm like still looking really game. hard at this Colts-Chiefs game here. This is uh, yeah. this is definitely the one that's got me worried. I, I'm not sure I trust Andy Reid.
2: <laughs> well, I'm about to lock it in, so better change your mind very quickly.
1: Alright, I'm 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 going with the Chiefs. I think that it should have some differences here. Okay.
2: So, so he Michael, you're going with the Chiefs. So we have two differences in picks. Uh we're we're both three and one. So it's just the straight up pick 'em. We're not really considering any of the lines, we're just going with the money line, just choosing whichever team wins. And then I feel like we have to come up with a bet or something to see who ends up winning. Uh or if the loser loses, then the loser has to perform something. I feel like that's kinda has to happen. Um, we'll we'll come up with something uh, for next week's podcast and figure it out and see what ends up happening. So, Mike, before we close out the podcast, um, we're I wanted to talk about some other NFL news that's off the field, especially the coaching um roulette that's going on with all these different coaches getting hired. And our jets not hiring anyone yet. Uh but there's there's been coaches hired. Um most recently today, Cliff Kingsbury ended up getting hired by the Arizona Cardinals. Um also that someone got hired Bruce Arians by the Bucks. Um, and our old coach Todd Bowles, as his defensive coordinator, coordinator, ended up getting hired, and then Matt Lafleur got hired by the Packers a couple days ago. So, like, out of those three guys that ended up becoming hired, which one? Which team do you feel like has made the right call, and which team maybe you're a little perplexed by?
1: Yeah, I mean. The the interesting one. I mean, I'm I'm surprised that the Bucks were even able to get Bruce Arians. So I think that's a great one for them. I just don't know why Bruce Arians would, you know, particularly come back for that head coaching position. Um, the one that perplexes me the most is honestly this Matt Lafleur um, hired as a Packers head coach. Right? I know he's a young coach. I, you know, maybe he could be that next like Sean McVay, and maybe that's a sort of goal here. But I, I'm just not sure that the offense that he instituted in Tennessee is that strong of a fit for the Packers, right? Um, interesting. The most definitely an interesting one was uh, Cliff Kingsbury. That was a name that was sort of thrown as uh, even a Jets head coaching candidate, but he's going to the Cardinals now. I mean, you're the Cardinals. You could sort of throw some flyers here and really try and go for that home run hit, Um, take some risks and take some gambles. So I do like this call by the Cardinals. Um, What are your thoughts here? I mean,
2: As a Jets fan, I was pretty happy that they didn't end up going with Cliff Kingsbury just because if you looked at his record at Texas Tech, it wasn't that stellar. He's had a good run of developing quarterbacks, so that would have been one positive, especially with Darnold. Um, Yeah, he's worked with
1: Darnold before.
2: I would have liked him as a good offensive coordinator, honestly, but maybe not as a head coach because I think he still needs to get some more experience um on that side of things but with Arizona with where they're at franchise-wise there's not that much pressure for Kingsbury to kind of perform right away so i think it's a it's a pretty decent move for Arizona i could see where they're going especially pairing him with Josh Rosen i wouldn't be surprised with that also I'm a little I'm on the same boat as you with the Bucks. I think they made a pretty good hire with Arians and and especially with getting Todd Bowles like Bowles is a good defensive coordinator for Arizona when he was on Arians' staff in Arizona he was that was the springboard that he ended up using um to get that Jets job. So I'm not surprised that they ended up reuniting in Tampa Bay, and I actually like that coaching staff that Arians has put together. I'm just not sure, for whatever reason, with all the talent that's been on that Tampa Bay team, whether or not that talent translates into positive results for next year. And the LaFleur thing kind of uh, confuses me a little bit. It seems like whoever worked for Sean McVay or was a Sean McVay disciple is getting hired as an NFL uh, coach. So that part doesn't surprise me, but it seems like every team is trying to go for that Sean McVay pick and choose the next offensive guru, especially with the way the league is going. And I'm hoping as a Jets fan that the Jets hire someone that's a little bit more offensive-minded. Is there any coaching candidate that's out there that you're looking forward to as a Jets fan?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, earlier I spoke that Cliff Kingsbury had worked with Darnold. Yeah, that's definitely not true. But overall, um, you know, it seems like the coaching pool is sort of limited, is sort of narrowing down for the Jets. And it's McCarthy, Gase, um, Todd Munkin. All right, I don't know if you have any other names that are getting thrown here. Yeah, I think there were some
2: other guys that were interviewed, like Jim Caldwell. Um, Please ex- no. Ex-Detroit Lions head coach um, and Indianapolis head coach also. I think another name that was getting thrown out there was Chris, Chris Richard. Um, I think he works with the defensive backs. I wouldn't like that just because I want an offensive-minded guy. There's been talk about Matt Rule, who's, who's the head coach of the Baylor Bears um, in college. I don't know if I love that choice either, but it seems like a lot of people are really high on him for whatever reason that he is, especially with turning around programs at Temple and at Baylor. But I just don't, I'm not a huge fan of him. It's not like he's one on that level um, on a consistent, consistent basis. So mm. that's... A worry for me if I'm a if I'm a Jets fan, being able to give all that power to um, a college coach that's been fairly mediocre, to be honest. Um, nope. But I mean, he's done some good high things. level good things in terms of turning programs around, so I could see the appeal there. But I kind of like if all the candidates that have been interviewed that have been confirmed to be interviewed, um, and those are our candidates and choices. I'm probably, I'm probably going to go with McCarthy, um, honestly, but that's, I mean, I'm not in love with any of these candidates
1: as a Jets fan. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really in love with any of these candidates either. I like, I like Munkin. I think that's definitely an interesting Selection here, um, him just being a very offensive-minded coach, and you know what he was able to do with uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah, fits magic. So hopefully we get some, you know, some of that fits magic in New York. But I, I, I like Todd Todd Monken for that reason. Um, I do think McCarthy is a good, solid choice, but just the way that he left um, Green Bay and sort of the sentiment around him at the end. Uh, it just, you know, you don't feel great with that one.
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of the worry. I mean, if you look at his coaching record, his coaching record is pretty stellar. He won a Super Bowl, so he has hit that to hang his hat on. But there's a lot to be left. There's a lot left to be desired, especially with the, the quarterback. He has. Exactly with Aaron Rodgers, so I think that could be a concern. But I'm kind. I'm quite interested to see what the Jets end up deciding to do. It seems like Johnson, who's the CEO of the Jets, is favoring and leaning towards McCarthy. So we'll see in the next couple of days what ends up happening with that head coaching position. Um, but other than that, Mike, I just thank you for coming on, uh, talking about all things NFL, talking about our sad Jets and hopefully hiring a positive and hopeful candidate that can kind of lead the Jets into a brighter future. And then also breaking down the, the amazing playoff games that ended up happening in wildcard weekend last weekend. And then also looking forward to the divisional round of playoff games this weekend. So you definitely will know where to find me this weekend as I'll be on the couch watching all the games, analyzing, and hopefully Big Dick Nick makes another showing, another appearance, and uh, we'll have an exciting Sunday night game as well against the Saints. So, Mike, thanks for coming on again, and hopefully talk to you next week as we have some exciting, exciting um, new content coming out later in the week as I interview Pat Shelberg, who is a world-class type of runner who ended up running for the UNC track team. So be on the lookout for that later this week. So thanks again, Mike.
1: Thanks, Jeff. And uh, yeah, looking forward to some great football and definitely going to give that Shelberg podcast a listen
0: message and i hope it makes you smile don't worry about me baby cause i swear that
1: i'll be fine i got a girl with a mind on love the kind of love that is dangerous
0: it knocks me down but i can't back up and now i'm addicted i can't get enough